Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back to our wonderful listeners. So today on the episode, we're going to be exploring the relationship between mood, mental health, and food. Our guest today is Katie Pangborn. Welcome to the show. Hi, happy to be here. So Katie, let's start with what got you into food and then how did sort of the mental health and mood piece come into the food piece? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say I got started with all of this because I am the client that I deal with now, or I was the client that I work with now. Um, I had, I grew up with a terrible relationship with food, but had no idea that I had a terrible relationship with food. Um, I had crippling anxiety from before kindergarten and like could not leave the house. And we didn't, we didn't have the words to colloquially talk about anxiety. Um, so my mom just thought I was, you know, annoying. (laughs) Um, you know, she did everything she could, but of course she got to her wit's end and she was like, you gotta go to school. Um, And we started later in life, you know, fast forward much later in life, you know, this is years and years of struggling with anxiety and depression. And it wasn't until I was 17 that we finally went, oh, wait, there are doctors for this. Um, There are people who can help me. And um, so we we got, you know, a couple diagnoses and, and started to work with what was actually happening. But I never even touched my food until I was about 23. Didn't even occur to me that what was going on with my mood had anything to do with my food. Um, I had major digestive issues my whole life, never made the connection. Um, So when I um, eventually, after graduating from university, I went to work in youth mental health and just started to make these connections between what the kids were eating and how they were feeling and went back to school to become a nutritionist and figure it all out. And now this is what I do. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, we don't necessarily pay attention to the feeling of our body after certain, after certain foods, but I mean, the latest, you know, discussions is all about, you know, the gut being the second brain and how absolutely influential our, you know, gut microbiome is to our mental health. Yeah, I mean, your serotonin, that, that neurotransmitter that we try to mimic with, with antidepressants, it's made in the gut. 90% of our serotonin is made in the gut. So we call the gut the second brain. I argue it's the first because you have to make the stuff in your gut to get it up to the brain. Um, so it's, there's that connection of, of food and mood, but also just really settling into how does the food I'm eating make me feel? What messages do I have around food and how are, how's my relationship with food actually positively or negatively affecting my mental health. You know, we all, especially women, we come out of the womb into diet culture and we're told to eat certain things, not eat certain things. And, um, and then that kind of defines us. We're told to think about health in terms of weight 
And so, you know, myself as a great example, diet food from 13 years old just ruined my mental health because I was focused on my weight and not fueling my body and my brain for what I needed. Yeah, and fueling fueling those uh, gut bacteria that yeah, uh, you know play such a huge important role. Now, when you okay, so you say like diet culture, and you say diet food. Uh, can you maybe explain a little bit, like what is that? Well, what does it mean, and what is diet food? Like, what do you consider diet food? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, diet culture is basically this culture of restriction, deprivation your weight and the way you look is the most important factor in your health. Um, you know, it's, a, it's being blown up right now um, because we're learning that people go on these restrictive dep- deprivation diets and they might lose weight, but it rarely stays off um, because people go on a diet with the intent purpose of going off the diet, right? It's something that you do for a short period of time. Um, so, breaking out of diet culture is about eating to feel good and listening to your body and not having those restrictions and deprivations. Um, so when I talk about diet food, I, I mean, referring to my own story, I'm talking about like the packaged, you know, X number of calories food that's made to sell to women to make you feel like you're making a good choice for your body. Um, I did the point system, you know, the Weight Watchers thing for a long, long time, like way earlier than I ever should have. Um, and I bought a lot of the food that they offered. Um, now I know their program has changed a lot since I was 13. Um, but then it was, there was no nutrients in the food, but you were hitting your points. So you were doing it right. And I was losing weight, but I was miserable. Right. Okay. Um, you've sort of mentioned unhealthy relationship in your own personal story with food. Um, what does an unhealthy relationship with food, what, what might that look like? Because if you didn't recognize it within your own self, there's probably, mm-hmm. I'm going to safely assume there's people out there who may have an unhealthy relationship, but don't know it. Absolutely. Absolutely. An unhealthy relationship with food is not one thing. It's however you're thinking about food, if it's damaging the way you're living in any way. So the the number one way we think about uh, a damaged relationship with food is restriction. Restriction, deprivation, being afraid of certain foods. Um, This happens among nutritionists so often. There's this disorder called orthorexia that I swear only nutritionists know about because it affects us so much. And orthorexia is when you basically have such a strict idea of how you should be eating that you become very fearful of anything outside of that. And I was guilty of this at one point when I was trying to eat a fully organic diet. I got got to the point where I thought that conventional broccoli was junk food. And it's not. It's wonderful. And it's, I would, I would have rather eaten a packaged organic cookie than eat conventional broccoli. And it's just, that's just not a healthy way of thinking. So that's kind of that restriction deprivation piece. But then there's also, and this is why I don't recommend ever commenting on anybody's body or what they're doing. Um, but 
there's also this piece of kind of um, celebrating what doesn't, what does work and what doesn't work, right? So it's kind of um, like somebody will say to you, oh, how do you, how do you keep a bag of chips in the house and you don't eat the whole thing, right? So that overeating, the binging, the, the emotional relationship with food. And then that person might say like, oh, I just have a lot of self-control. But what's actually happening is they, they might be restricting and depriving themselves, right? So when people, I just, I just did uh, an email out to my followers about this, um, about just kind of not worrying about that bag of chips that people have in the house because your relationship to that bag of chips might be, I can't have the bag of chips in the house, I'm going to overeat it. Whereas somebody else's relationship with that bag of chips might be, I'm going to have it in the house and I'm going to prove to myself that I don't need to have it. Right. So either way, it's not great. Well, it doesn't feel good it doesn't on feel either good. end. Right. And the thing, the, the kind of healthy spot in the middle is I can have a bag of chips. That bag of chips has no power over me. It's just a bag of chips. There's no moral value to that bag of chips. I just get to decide if I deserve to feel the way that bag of chips makes me feel. And then the end. And I can have, you know, 20 chips and then pop a chip clip back on. That's what they're for. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the healthier relationship with food that we're looking to get to. And really it's grounded in self-respect. It's, it's really working backwards to going to saying, how do I deserve to feel? How does this food make me feel? Do I deserve to feel the way that food makes me feel? And it's, it's just really going way back versus starting with, um, should I eat this or should I not eat this? Cause that's not enough information. Right, right. Um, I'm thinking also like boredom, boredom mm-hmm. eating. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, boredom, or stress eating, right? Eating to fill a void. Exactly, yeah. Um, the, yeah, that certainly gives us a couple of examples of that. Um, what about um, like overeating and like, you know, big portions, small portions, does that also fall into what we're talking about? Like that restrictive, uh, so on one end, restrictive deprivation, but what about on the other where it's like overeating? Overeating. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. One of the most common things I get asked about is, um, is portion sizes. So people will say like, I eat really healthy. I just have issues with portion control and the words portion control I always call out. And if you, if you're one of my clients listening to this, you're probably laughing because I've, you know, I call you out all the time. Um, but portion control, as I say, is for diabetic cats. It's not for humans. Portion control is something that somebody else um, kind of enforces on you. Portion control. Eating what feels good. That's really what we're talking about, right? It's, having a plate of food and being comfortable with eating slowly and being able to tap into what your body's telling you and to be comfortable saying, I'm going to have the rest of this for lunch tomorrow uh, because I'm full. I'm satisfied. I feel good right now. Or saying that wasn't enough. I need more. I don't feel full. I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel nourished yet. So yeah, there's definitely, there's, there's, habits of disorder on both ends of the spectrum for sure but there's also that piece of fearing 
what it means about you if you finish your plate or if you don't, right? There's, um, I mean, I, I was raised by dieters and my whole family's, they're dieters and love them to bits. They're wonderful people. They raised me well, but they're all working on their relationships with food. And one of the things that we always were taught is, you know, eat off of a salad plate, not a dinner plate. Um, only fill half your plate, only eat half your plate of what you're given at a restaurant. Um, you should always leave half behind versus saying, what on this plate is going to make me feel the best? I'm going to eat all my veggies. I'm going to eat part of my protein and I'm going to have some carbs. That's going to make me feel really good tonight versus mm. saying half my broccoli, half my chicken, half my rice, right? It's, it's really tapping into what makes your body feel good. Interesting way to look at it because <clears throat> what I'm what I'm sensing you're saying is that um, it's perhaps not so much specifically about well, there's definitely the food food portion and we're going to talk about it, but it almost sounds like there's the you know slowing down the under you know the tapping into yourself and the feelings inside to be able to determine, you know, where that line is for you. And it's interesting uh, you're saying about um, like the plate, like eat all your veggies because different food, like not all foods are created equal. Of course. Right. And it's about figuring out what types of foods are really good for you, but you may have to eat quite a bit of those. Like if you're more um, eating more veggies, like you're probably going to need to eat more veggies to get mm -hmm. that sensation of fullness versus yeah, like heavy carbohydrates. Right. Well, I would argue that all foods are created equal. Right. There's okay. no, there's no more um, inherent moral morality to any food. There's no, uh, this food is better than this food. You are not a better person for eating more broccoli than rice. You okay. Not, That's a good point. You know, it's, so there's, I, it's one of the things that I squash with my clients, like in a discovery call, like, it's like before they're my clients, I squash this for them. There's no good or bad because if you have, morality placed on a food that this is a bad food or even that this is not as good of a food when you eat that food and you will when you eat it you feel bad you feel like you are less than right so mm -hmm. yes you might need to eat um you know three plates of broccoli to get the same satisfaction from eating one baked potato sure but i would challenge you to ask yourself what's your body looking for in that moment right Trust me, you're not eating three plates of broccoli. Your body will stop you. Your body's going to say, okay, I've got what I needed from there. If you're eating slowly and mindfully and connecting to your food, and your body might say, girl, I need some potatoes. Like, let's roll over to these potatoes and let's have a little bit and see how that makes me feel. Right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's really about, about, um, about ignoring all the food rules and all the restrictions and just saying, I get to decide what makes me feel good because my body's going to give me those signals. Interesting. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm just sitting here kind of giggling to myself thinking <laughs> like, Oh yeah. All the times I've sort of eaten something I didn't like because it was apparently good for me. Right. <laughs> right. And food should be pleasurable. Right. And I, I always say that with my clients, like I, 
I want to know what all of your favorite foods are. Because if I start telling you, you know, you can't have bread and like I get a reputation as a nutritionist who lets you eat bread. Um, but if I start telling you, you can't eat bread and you must eat shrimp and you hate shrimp, but you love bread. Are you going to stick to that? No, it's not realistic. You have to be part of mood food is connecting to the foods that actually make you feel good just only on their emotional content, right? My mom's blueberry muffins, she only made on like when she was really in the mood. Like it's, if you woke up to smell blueberry muffins, it was going to be a good day. Those muffins are full of sugar and like they're not something that a nutritionist should be seen eating, right? But there's an emotional connection to those foods, to, the, to those muffins for me that makes up for any, any kind of sugar high or anything that I might be feeling. So what about people who feel good eating McDonald's? Like how do you, so then how do you, mm -hmm. how do you deal with that? Yeah, hundred percent. This is really, that's a really good question. So first thing is I really challenge them to get in touch with what feeling good feels like. Because a lot of people have such a low expectation for what they should feel like. Their baseline of how they feel every day is so low that eating McDonald's doesn't make them feel worse. It just kind of makes them feel normal. Um, now, not to criminalize McDonald's, because if you want to eat McDonald's and it makes you feel good, power to you. I would just be surprised. <laughs> um, you know, depending on what you're getting from there. I get, I get uh, plain egg on an English muffin every now and then when we're on a road trip. I feel fine. So, um, you know, it's, it's not to vilify McDonald's, but it's to say, how, how do you really feel when you eat McDonald's? How do you deserve to feel, right? Because that's, that's the basis. How do you deserve to feel? And then really doing the work because, you know, I work with my clients over 12 weeks and I usually find that about week three or four, they go, oh, look, I don't even want X, Y, or Z anymore because I feel better and I don't want to feel any less than this. And that's what I call raising your baseline. So as we start to do the work to get you where you want to be, with foods that make sense for you, your baseline expectation of how you deserve to feel is going to come up. And once you recognize that you can feel better and you've got that self-respect built in, you won't accept feeling any less than that. It's, uh, it's interesting because as I've, I've shifted and changed the way that I've shifted my relationship with, uh, with food due to like a gut bacteria issue. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of had no, you know, like the bad guys had taken over and I was yeah. like, okay, this does not feel good at yeah. all. Um, so I, you know, I really had to uh, make, uh, make some changes. And it was interesting that um, when I was more strictly eating that way, like I didn't crave as much junk food. Mm -hmm. Um and because I was, I, I was like kind of reading through a book that was kind of talking about the gut microbiome and the gut lining and, you know, and it's interesting because as you change the way that you eat, you also change your gut bacteria. So they, you know, as the healthier gut bacteria, you know, fills up the intestines, they crave different things mm -hmm. or they like different things. So mm -hmm. you almost 
you just don't feel like eating the other stuff. And maybe there's that emotional component of like, I feel so much better and I don't want to feel worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, but there, there's, I think there's that biological piece as well that certainly drives food. Definitely. And there's a physiological component for sure. And even um, like, I mean, gut bacteria is such a huge topic and um, it's, it's hard to kind of jump into that yeah. in here, but you're hundred percent right. But the other thing we can think about even on a more surface level is your taste buds. Your taste buds change. When you start to, you think about, um, you have you have a little one, so you think about the foods that you give to your child when they're first learning to eat, right? You want to expose them to flavors. And every flavor they try, they might be like, oh, no, absolutely not. But then you keep introducing it, right? There's theories that say you have to introduce a food 20 times before you might get a bite out of them. And we're the same. You know, yes, our taste buds are a little bit more evolved, hopefully. Um, but I can tell you, like, I never used to eat pepper. I never ate mushrooms. I didn't even eat garlic or onions until I was like 24 because I was raised by my Irish grandfather and we had meat and potatoes and salad every night <laughs> and like a, and a can of corn, um, or a can of peas. So I wasn't, I didn't have a varied, um, I didn't have varied taste buds and as you start to really appreciate the food, the way the food makes you feel, you're going to be more inclined to eat those foods. I still struggle with raw peppers. I don't like the taste, but every now and then I'll take a bite because I know like these foods do make me feel good. Uh, and when I eat cooked peppers, I feel great. But um, every once in a while, I'll just like take a bite and be like, this tastes good. This feels good. I feel good when I eat this food. I'm just trying to convince myself <laughs> of it. Um, but there's so many things that I never would have touched. Um, you know, even, even certain things that like, um, like kombucha is a great example. We're talking about gut bacteria. It's a fermented tea. And so many people, I've been drinking it for years, every day. And so many people, they like, they go to try it and they just smell it. They're like, no, 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 I can't. I can't. Like, absolutely not. How are you drinking this? And I go, it's, I've evolved with it because it makes me feel so good that the taste is associated with something so positive. Right? Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like reverse engineering it. <laughs> I don't know. I like kombucha, so. Me too. I love it. Uh, yeah. Um, so you sort of alluded to, you know, diets and, and them not working. Um, I thought maybe you could just kind of give a nice little summary as to like why you think diets don't work. Yeah, I mean, I think diets work. It just just depends on what your definition of working is, right? Mm. So, um, I get a lot of people because I kind of, I speak out about, about restriction a lot. Yeah. Um, one of the big things that comes up is the keto diet. Cause I get asked about it a lot. Um, you know, do you support the keto diet? I always say yes, if it makes you feel great. Um, I have had one person ever, um, who has felt really, really, really good on a keto diet long-term and she had some serious health issues going on. It was um, designed for that. The, key, the ketogenic diet was designed to treat an epileptic disorder in children um, who were non-responsive to medication. It was not designed as a weight loss protocol, and that's how people are using it. Um, so my definition of working is that your whole body and your whole mind feel really good. So a lot of people will go on a diet, like a weight loss diet, Um, And they do feel really good because they're eating differently than they had in the past. Um, Hopefully they're eating more fruits and veggies and 
whole grains, getting more fiber, and all these things that they weren't doing before are going to make them feel so much better. And the fact that they're losing weight is going to give them some self-esteem and they're, like, that's what they've been looking to do and they've been struggling with this and you know, they're restricting, but they're getting this reward of weight loss. So in that sense, most diets work. You might lose weight. But what happens when you go off the diet? That's really where the work comes in, right? So if you are restricting and depriving for a year, let's say, and you lose 60 pounds and you're feeling really great about these new clothes that you can wear and you're feeling really great because you have more energy and you're eating more consciously, but then you, you hit your goal. Your goal was 60 pounds. Then what? Well, now you have to go back to real life. Now you don't have rules and restrictions and weigh-ins and all this stuff. And you have to go back to real life in a sustainable way to live. So how do you do that when you learned that health is restriction? Mm. So a lot of people go off these diets and gain the weight back because they didn't actually learn anything. They didn't do that behind the scenes work that needs to happen. And it's not their fault. You know, it's, it's not built into these programs. Um, they're not doing that, that behind the scenes work of, of what, what got me here? You know, what, what was my relationship with food? What were the problems before? What is the generational relationship with food? What did I learn from my parents? And what did they learn from their parents about food? How am I passing this on to my kids? Um, how do I deserve to feel? What does feeling good look like and feel like? Am I now afraid of certain foods? You know, all of that is not factored in because a weight loss program um, is designed to keep you coming back. It's a business, right? So if you are losing the weight and keeping it off, they've just lost a customer. So it's, it's tricky. The, the diet business is very tricky and there are definitely positives to it. Um, some people really need to lose weight to get to a point in their health that they can, you know, have a, have a knee surgery or have whatever needs to happen. Um, but I can tell you that there is health to be found at every size. Um, there's health to be, you know, you might find a person who looks, they, they could even be in the obese category but they are healthy as a horse. And then you can find people who look traditionally healthy and they're not, you know, so there's health to be found at every size and we need to do that background work to really have the effects last for our diet. When you say the background work, I, I know you've given examples of, of, you know, thinking about your relationship and what do your parents think about, but maybe you can just sort of, quickly summarize or maybe state like what do you mean by behind the scenes because yeah, people work. yeah okay yeah the emotional work the mental work the um the really deep diving asking yourself the tough questions maybe talking to a therapist maybe talking to um, a professional who works with food um this is a lot of the work that i do with my clients it's um i have clients where we don't even talk about food you know, we're talking about what's happening around the dinner table. We're talking about um, the, the mental chatter when you're standing in the line at Starbucks. Um, we're talking about the 
physical restraint to keep you away from a drive-through and really working on the relationship with all of those things too, where you can allow yourself to go through a drive-through and maybe there's something in there that makes you feel good. Um, and maybe there's not, but that's how you learn. Um, it's about taking the power away from institutions like drive-thrus and saying, like, I'm allowed to go to a drive-thru. One of the tenets of my mood food method is everything is allowed. There's nothing that is inherently off limits. So it's really doing that, that deep emotional mental work to go backwards, figure out how you got here and heal all of the pieces of you along the way. You mentioned the mood food method. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah. So the mood food method is my signature nutrition program. Um, it's nutrition and mental wellness. My professional background before I became a nutritionist was in mental health, um, more on the advocacy side. And um, so now I do mental health with nutrition. So we're talking about how your food is related to your mood. My number one priority with this is to raise your capacity to deal with stress because stress, anxiety, depression, they cause issues with our food and our health and our health and our food cause issues with our mental health. You know, they, they're so interconnected. So I kind of lump it together as mental wellness and our relationship with food. So the mood food method is a coaching program and it's one-on-one -on -one coaching. So every program looks a little bit different, but it's really learning the, the science behind your food and your mood and how they're connected. Um, how to incorporate blood sugar maintenance, fiber, bowel movements, um, mental talk, energy, sleep, everything. Um, how your healthy fats fuel your brain cells, how to heal your gut. It's all of these pieces in a customized program with recipes and um, support every step of the way so that you never have to wonder, okay, how do I actually put this into practice? And, uh, and then we do these really unique mood food journals that, um, you know, I'm sure you've experienced a, a food diary at some point in your life or a journaling app or whatever it is. Um, we do it differently. We don't do calories and fat and protein and carbs and all that. We take a picture of what you're eating and then we jot down what's happening in that moment. So how did you feel going into that meal? How did that meal make you feel? Um, and then we just really start to develop an understanding of what food works for you and then support you along the way. And I assume that it's not just like how you feel emotionally and mentally, but also like you're jotting down any physical symptoms. Like if you've had bloating, gas, like, you know, did the next day the toilet, like, was that a hard, you know, yeah. a hard experience? Uh, okay. Yes. So yeah, then people can also, it's, yeah. It's physical and mental wellness. The, the difference with the mood food method compared to other nutrition programs and even other nutrition programs, the way I've done it is we develop your own definition of what wellness feels like. So I always tell my clients, you deserve to feel amazing, you know, customize that sentence to whatever you'd like it to be, whatever resonates with you. But what does amazing actually feel like? Like let's list out what you're looking for and wake up in the morning. Am I hitting these things? If not, why not? Let's kind of explore. And, yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Interesting. Well, that kind of sort of answered a, a little bit of my question in terms of like, are all nutritionists the same? And I mean, instinctively, I know the answer is no. And you sort of alluded to, you know, the fact that it's really about what does wellness and feeling good mean to you? And then, mm-hmm. you know, really jotting and journaling yeah. that part so that you're always feeling like you're you're the one moving toward your own target versus mm-hmm. a target that somebody else has set for yeah, you. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of do all nutritionists, are they all the same? I mean, no, everybody's different. Even people who I've trained with, we all practice differently because everybody practices largely based on their own experience, right? Whether it's their own health or their family that they've helped out or whatever, something has resonated with each person to help them do the work that they do. But I mean, there, I've got colleagues who are just incredible specialists when it comes to hormones or, uh, or skin health or um, that work specifically only with gut disorders. You know, and these folks have, have really done an incredible job of diving into their specialty. My specialty is mental wellness. Um, so everybody's going to have a bit of a different approach and there are going to be times where a very specific, restrictive, um, specific approach is important for a short period of time, right? Sometimes you have to do that to, to heal, um, to allow your body to heal. Um, so yeah, everybody's different. I don't think there's um, a right and a wrong way to practice. I do take issue with the, the corporate diet culture. Um, but in terms of nutritionists, I think everybody kind of has their own avenue and, um, and there will be a different person that resonates with each, each potential client. Absolutely. So let's talk about the people who are interested in their mental health Mm -hmm. and are interested in building a healthy relationship with food. Uh, where can they find you, follow you? learn more. So Talking Tree Wellness is my company, talkingtreewellness.com. There's a blog there. There's all kinds of info, lots of recipes. Um, I've got a giveaway on that site right now. It's um, five steps to a healthier relationship with food that um, you can download and there's a bunch of recipes in there as well. Um, You can find me on Instagram at Talking Tree Wellness. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Talking Tree Wellness. Um, and on my Instagram, there's all kinds of links as well to a couple downloads, um, that five steps to a healthy relationship with food is on there. There's also a program for parents of teens that I'm, that I'm just getting going called mood food for teens, the ultimate parents guide. Um, that's been getting a lot of good attention. So if you have a teenager at home, that might be helpful for you. And that really gets into the idea of generational relationships with food, (laughs) um, but yeah, you can find me all over. I do videos every week and um, I'm always happy to chat. Awesome. Okay. And just uh, for our listeners, in case you're driving or not near a uh, pencil pen, um, we will post the links uh, on the show notes. So you'll be able to just easily uh, find the episode. And when you open it up in the description, there will be the uh, links uh, to all of um, Katie's handles. And uh, Katie, I want to say thank you very much for taking time to come on the show and speak to this particular topic because it's important. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I just, I love talking about this as you can tell. Um, and it's, I just think it's so important to give women in particular the permission to feel good. Absolutely. So thank you for facilitating that. Well, we, I, I, I am honored to be able to ask these questions of all the wonderful guests. So it's always uh, truly amazing to, to learn from others as well. So I do get that benefit of learning about, you know, different topics that I, I don't know much about. So um, having said that, I'm going to say thank you also to our listeners. Uh, you know, this, this, these interviews are for you to learn and live a better life. And if you want to stay up to date with the latest and greatest podcast episodes, make sure to hit the subscribe button. We are on iTunes, uh, podcast for Android, Google, uh, Spotify, um, and of course, you can always access our episodes directly from our um, sponsor's website. Uh, so thank you for listening. Until next time, we'll see you around. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.